Amen. Let's start with Martin Luther this afternoon. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk in the early 1500s. He was deeply troubled, though, because he had no assurance that he was forgiven by God, loved by God. He went to his superiors and asked them what he could do. And the answer that they all ended up giving in different shapes and forms was, well, you need to sin less and you need to do more obedient things. Sin less, obey more. He tried that. Sinning less, obeying more, but no assurance of forgiveness from God, no assurance that he was loved by God, no assurance that he was saved by God. But then in his studies, he came to the passage we're going to be looking at this afternoon. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Not easy verses. As my mom would say, put your thinking caps on this afternoon. But he studied them, thought about them, prayed over them, soaked in them, labored over them. And here's what happened. Here's what he wrote. I've edited it a little bit for clarity, but listen to what he said happened because of these verses. He said, at last, by the mercy of God, studying day and night, I noticed the context of the words. Then I began to understand what Paul was saying. As I did, I felt like I was born again that I had entered paradise through open gates. So God used these verses to teach Martin Luther the gospel, to give him faith in Jesus Christ, to assure him that he was saved from his sins, loved by God. He felt like he was born again because he was, and he entered into the very presence of God, into paradise. Because of these two verses that we're going to be studying this afternoon. May God do the same thing in many lives here this afternoon as he did in Martin Luther's life through the scripture. Now here's where we've come in Romans. First section, Paul introduced himself and explained why this letter was important for them to pay heed to. And then last week in verses 8 through 15, Paul explains why he's so eager to preach the gospel. And now today, in verses 16 and 17, Paul explains why he's not ashamed of the gospel. So let's start with that as our first question. Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? And before we look at what Paul says, I want you to understand why Paul could have felt ashamed of the gospel. Lots of reasons. Namely, both Jews and Gentiles thought the gospel was foolishness, ridiculous, Let's take the Jewish people. They were all waiting for the Messiah to come. But most of them had not paid attention to those places in the Old Testament which taught that the Messiah would die to pay for the sins of God's people, would die to pay for sins for for people. They hadn't paid attention to that. 
the Messiah they were waiting for was a king who would rule, not a man dying on a cross. And so when Paul went to the synagogues and and proclaimed that the Messiah they'd been waiting for was Jesus who died on the cross, they ridiculed him, laughed at him. That was the Jewish people. And the same with the Gentiles. The Gentile people knew about crucifixions. They knew the horror, the shame, the torture that was involved in dying that way, and that it was reserved for the lowest class people, the the worst criminals. And so when Paul told the Gentiles that the Savior God had sent to the world was crucified, they mocked, they ridiculed. That's nuts. So Jews and Gentiles both thought the gospel was foolishness. And yet, (laughs) Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Not in the slightest. And he tells us why in verse 16. Let's read it again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, as I looked at this verse and thought, how are we going to explain this? I feel like we should start by being clear on what the gospel is. Because Paul says the reason he's not ashamed is because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So we need to be clear on what is the gospel. I think the clearest passage that explains that is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Look at what Paul says there. We're asking the question, now what is this gospel that is the power of God for salvation? Paul explains, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. So the gospel is not just that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, or that God answers prayer, as important as those are and as true as those are. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that God healed you or that he gave you a great job. Praise God that he heals and gives people jobs. We celebrate that with you. But if that's all that you share, you've not shared the gospel. We want to make sure we're sharing the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, Paul says. The gospel message must emphasize our sin 
Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It must talk about the problem of our sin. We could be tempted to leave that out because it could be offensive to people, but if we leave that out, then there's no gospel. No sin, no need for a savior, no gospel. The gospel, Paul says, must include Jesus' death for our sins, the cross, the crucifixion. Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. If if our message leaves out the cross, we haven't shared the gospel. And why is that important? It's because it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. We want to see people saved. So the gospel message must include our sin, Jesus' death paying for our sin, and Jesus' resurrection, which shows that God has accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sin. That's the gospel. That's what Paul was not ashamed of. Not at all. So with that in mind, let's read verse 16 of Romans 1 again. See what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because when people believe the gospel, God's saving power comes to them. God's power saves them. God, the creator of the universe, comes with his power and saves them when people believe the gospel. Gospel is not just words or ancient traditions. It's the power of God. It brings the power of God upon people who need saving and saves them. That's what happens with the gospel. And notice that it all comes through us believing. It's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It starts with us believing, trusting, trusting what God's saving power will do through Christ. This is important to stress because man-made religions and man-made spirituality focuses not on trusting what God will do, but on what we need to do. It's our doing that man-made religions focus on. And that's all they can say because since it's man-made religions and spirituality, it doesn't bring people to God. And if there's no God, then we're just left with what we do. But that's not the gospel. We don't respond to the gospel by doing things at first. It'll change our lives so we do do things. But we start by believing, trusting what God will do. The gospel isn't man-made. It doesn't come from man. It comes from God. He started promising the gospel in the very third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And whenever someone hears the gospel and believes, trusts what God promises to do through Jesus, they are connected to God and they experience God's saving power, changing them. Let me tell you about Michael Graham an Australian who for 30 years taught, practiced Eastern spirituality, Eastern religions. 
But after 30 years, he owned up to the fact that he had not found what he was looking for. He said that all his spirituality was like trying to draw water, pull water out of an empty well. 30 years of trying to pull water out of an empty well. That's what he felt like his life had been. And so he started reading the Bible. As he drove to work, he listened to radio preachers. He saw that his problem was sin. Sin was keeping him from connecting with God. He saw that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. He saw that he needed to put his trust in Jesus to be saved. And that's what he did. And here's what he said happens. Now think about this. 30 years of pursuing these other man-made religions, coming up empty. But here's what happened when he trusted Jesus Christ, when he heard the gospel and trusted Christ. He said what followed was extraordinary. From that day to this, I've never been the same. I felt renewed, regenerated. This indeed was a miracle. From that day forth, all the changes of heart and mind I had pursued for 30 years was given to me by grace as a silent gift of the Holy Spirit. For all those years, I'd been a dead man walking. Now I'd come alive. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. The saving power of God comes to everyone who believes, who trusts. When anyone trusts Christ, the Savior crucified for our sin, who was buried, who rose again on the third day, when any of us trust Christ, we will experience God's saving power, forgiving all of our sins, past sins, present sins, future sins, all forgiven, all forgiven. Profound change. Guilt gone. God pours his loving presence into our lives. We know God for the first time. Fills us with the joy of knowing Jesus, worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus. He gives us increasing power over sin. We don't become perfect, but we start to change. Increasing power over sin. He comforts us in our trials. He keeps us trusting Jesus all the way to heaven. Yes, there's ups and downs, right? Ups and downs. But every time we stray, he, he convicts us. He changes our hearts. He brings us back. He keeps us all the way in faith until we reach glory. And then he will raise us from the dead to be with him in the joy of beholding his glory, shining in Christ Jesus forever. The gospel is the power of God. It's not us doing, doing, doing. It's trusting God to do. We come to him helpless. We come to him in ourselves hopeless. We come to him needy. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. We come, we trust. I'm trusting what you promised to do through Jesus. And power comes. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's why Paul was not ashamed. Because when Jewish people believed in Jesus, saved. 
when Gentiles believed in Jesus, saved. Salvation, 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 not ashamed of the gospel. God's saving power. But now this brings another question up. And the question is this. God is perfect. He's majestic. He's beautiful. He's glorious. And he must punish sin. He can't ignore sin or pretend like it never happened. In his justice, he has to punish sin. And we've all sinned. We've all sinned. So here's the question I want us to ask. Because Paul answers it in verse 17. The question is, how can God's saving power come upon sinful people? Million dollar question. How can God's saving power come upon sinful people? And Paul answers that in verse 17. Look at what he says. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, which just means to faith from start to finish. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to those who believe. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the verse that brought Martin Luther into the paradise of knowing that he was forgiven, saved. But at first, Martin Luther misunderstood this verse because he misunderstood what Paul meant by the righteousness of God. Let me explain it like this. There's places in the Bible where the phrase the righteousness of God means God's judging righteousness, which punishes sinners. There is the reality of God's righteousness, which sometimes means God's judging righteousness, which punishes sinners. And Luther's teachers had told him that in this verse, that's what God's righteousness means. So when Luther read this verse, he thought Paul was saying that the gospel reveals God's judging righteousness, which punishes sinners. So every time he read this verse, he just felt condemned, guilty. There's no hope in that for me. I'm a sinner. He knew, like we all know. So every time he read this verse, he trembled and became deeply discouraged at the prospect of God's judgments. I mean, it made no sense how it could mean that, but that's what he'd been taught, so... Here's how he described his dilemma. He said this, I had a passion to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, but it was one single phrase in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. It was that one single phrase that stood in my way. I hated that phrase, the righteousness of God, which I had been taught meant the righteousness by which God punishes sinners. Can you feel how difficult that would be to think it's good news that the gospel reveals God's judgment against sinners? Anybody feel good about that? We need a gospel with some good news. We know that part. So that was Luther's struggle. But by God's grace, he kept studying that verse. 
that interpretation just didn't make sense to what the rest of what Paul was saying. And he saw that the phrase righteousness of God can't mean God's judging righteousness which punishes sinners. And one reason is because of the last half of verse 17. Let's read the verse again and notice the last half of verse 17. Paul said, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, which means like the Old Testament said, or here's another way that the Old Testament said the same truth, namely, the righteous shall live by faith. So those words, as it is written, shows that the second half of verse 17 is an explanation of the first half. The second half puts the first half in different words, restates it. So when the righteousness of God is revealed to faith, what happens? What happens is the second half of verse 17. It's not sinful people being punished by God. It's righteous people who are living before God by faith. Not sinful people being punished by God. That's not how Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, that Old Testament verse, restates the first half. It's not sinful people being punished by God. It's righteous people who are living by, before God by faith. Because okay, so here's what we've seen. How are you all doing? You're, you're catching this? Okay. The righteousness of God, Paul Luther had been taught, means God's judging righteousness which punishes sinners, which meant verse 17 was bad news for him, the sinner. Okay? Sometimes the phrase the righteousness of God does have that meaning. But that can't be what it means here because that doesn't fit the second half of verse 17. So then what other meaning can the righteousness of God have? Friends, this is amazing. If you've never seen this in the scriptures... Oh, this is just incredible. What other meaning can't it have? It has a glorious meaning. One of the most clear passages to illustrate that is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I would encourage you all to memorize this verse. Pray over this verse. Think over this verse. Rejoice in this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Look at what Paul says. He says, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin. Jesus had never sinned. He never sinned. But God the Father made him to be sin. Which means that on the cross, even though Jesus had never sinned, God put all of our sin on him and punished our sin in him. That's what the cross was. That's how the Father made Jesus to be sin. And, and why did God do that? It was so that, look at those words, so that in verse 21, it was so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. 
So here the righteousness of God is something we become. That's very different than God's judging righteousness which punishes sinners. Here, God's righteousness is a gift from God that we become. See, now we might think that Paul's talking about us becoming actually righteous. And, and when you're saved, God does start changing you, so you do become more and more and more righteous. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is saying is that we become righteous in the same way that Jesus became sin. Same way. When Jesus was made sin, it didn't mean that he ever actually sinned. He did not ever actually sin. It means that God counted our sin to him. God credited our sin to him and punished him for our sin. That's how he became sin. And in the same way, when we become righteousness, it's not referring to us having actual righteousness. That's not Paul's point here. It means that God counts Jesus' perfect righteousness as ours. God credits Jesus' perfect sinlessness to us, and then God gives us what Jesus' perfect righteousness deserves, which is his love and his favor and his presence. That's what Paul's talking about here. So with that in mind, read verse 21 again. And let this start to sink in. Got your thinking cap on? Okay, put it back on, all right? For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here, the righteousness of God does not mean God's judging righteousness which punishes sinners. There's another way that phrase is used in the Bible also. Not God's judging righteousness which punishes sinners, but God's gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness which covers sinners, covers our sinfulness with Jesus' perfect righteousness. Now, I want to illustrate this. Here's an illustration I've used before. See if this is going to work. I think it will. Okay. All right. If you see me away in the back, I hope I'll, I'll read these signs in case you can't see them. But anyway, let's talk about this. Over here is Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He's the only human being who has never, ever sinned. His life was perfect love and purity and joy, truth, mercy, peace, hope, kindness. Never sinned. Absolutely flawless. Uh-oh. Here's me and you. Here's us, okay? We sinned. Before we were saved, our lives were full of pride and hate and gossip and anger and jealousy and lust and greed. So what does God do? God loves us. God's compassionate. God's merciful. What does God do? He made Jesus to be sin. He made our Jesus to be sin. It doesn't mean Jesus became sinful, but what it means is that when you 
confess your sin to Jesus and put your trust in him as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure, at that moment, God's power comes and God takes all of your sin, past, present, and future, and he put it upon Jesus on the cross and punished all of your sins in Jesus on the cross. He counted all of your sin on Jesus. He credited all of your sin to Jesus. And Jesus received on the cross what your sins deserve. You, if you're trusting Jesus now, you do know, right, that you will never face any punishment for your sins because Jesus paid it all, like the old hymn says. Now, why did God do this? It doesn't stop here. Why did God do this? It's that phrase, so that, in verse 21. Read that again. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. There it is right there. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God punished our sin in Jesus so that we could be forgiven. And because we're forgiven, that God can give us the most amazing gift imaginable. The gift of Jesus perfect righteousness to cover us. And so again, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you first trusted Jesus, all your sin was put upon Jesus on the cross and punished in Jesus, and all of Jesus' perfect righteousness was credited to you, was given to you as a gift. This is amazing. All your sin upon Jesus, punished in Jesus. All of Jesus' perfect righteousness credited to you, and you receive the blessings that those that perfect righteousness deserves. God's love, God's nearness, eternal life, everything. That's what the righteousness of God means in verse 21. Not God's judging righteousness, which punishes sinners, but God's gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness, which covers sinners. Now understand, this is not because of anything we've done. This, this exchange, what did you do? Nothing. You trusted what he would do. You came to God helpless, needy, Needing a savior, nothing you could do in yourself to save yourself. You came and said, I trust you. I need you. I, I, I'm, I'm trusting you, what you've promised to do. And the moment you do that, God's power through the gospel comes and brings about this amazing exchange that takes place. So let this sink in. You're standing before God as a believer. Never depends upon what you've earned or deserved by your righteousness. We will become more and more righteous by God's power. Obedience is important. Sanctification is important. This we're talking about is justification. And your standing before God now and in heaven will always be earned and merited only one way. Not by anything you do, not by anything anyone else does except for what Jesus did. And so when you're in heaven, shining with glory there. The reason you're there isn't because of anything you did. It's all because of what Jesus did. So who gets all the praise? 
Jesus. We're, we're humbled before him. We're worshiping him. He paid it all. All to him we owe. Now, lots of implications of this. I hope you'll think more deeply about this. Let me just give you one that I find very helpful. Let's say that tomorrow you get angry at somebody. You know, like angry. You know, okay, you know you shouldn't be angry. Put to death all anger, Paul says. Oh, okay, there... Ah, and what we too often try to do is, I've got to get rid of this anger so I can then come back to God, get, get close to God again. That's not the right step. The only way you're going to get rid of this anger is by coming to God first. Right? But how do you come to God if you've got anger? It's because the moment you turn to God and say, I trust what you've promised in Christ. I'm sorry. I, don't, I hate this anger, but look at it. I want to be free from it. I'm going to trust, you promise you'll help me get free from it. You'll promise you'll forgive me for it. I'm coming to you by faith at this moment. And because you're trusting him and what he will do, you can be completely assured that at that point, yes, that's right. I'm covered with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So even though I've got anger that I'm hating and wanting to be free, I'm covered with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So God the Father is moving toward me with all of his love and all of his power and all of his care and all of his forgiveness, ready to meet me and help me get freed from that anger. Don't try to get over your sin before coming to God. The only way you can get over your sin is by coming to God. See how that works? So at every moment of every day, look to Jesus by faith, and you will be immediately assured biblically because of what the scriptures teach. You are covered by Jesus' perfect righteousness, and God is delighting in you as he delights in Jesus. He's loving you like he loves Jesus. He's going to give you joy like he fills Jesus with joy. He's going to raise you from the dead like he raised Jesus from the dead. You're in union with Christ, covered with his righteousness, and God loves you and cares about you. Yeah, but I lost my patience last night. Yes, you did. Are you looking to Jesus by faith? Yes. Then you're covered with his perfect righteousness, and God's moving toward you with everything that you need. You see how this works? This is amazing. Now, can you see why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel? Because the gospel for anybody in this room who will believe, put their trust in what God promises to do through Jesus, the gospel is the power of God, the heart-changing, life-changing, heart-filling, sin-forgiving salvation of God, the power of God in accomplishing these things. And the reason you know that God can do that for sinners is because of this. Because the, the righteousness of God, God's gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness to cover your sins is yours by faith. Everything you need is in Jesus Christ. The power of God to change your heart, the power of God to forgive your sins, perfect righteousness to cover you, it's all yours in Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone. So here's what Paul's saying. Verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God, that is God's gift of righteousness, is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. That's why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It brings the power of God 
to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it can do that because in it, God's gift of Jesus' perfect righteousness is revealed to everyone who believes. Now, here's two takeaways. Oh, this means so much, but let me just give you two. First, I I just have to say to those of you who are pursuing man-made religions or no religion at all, God has you here this afternoon to hear about Jesus Christ. You've, You've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the power of God to everyone who will believe. And he can do that because when you believe, you receive Jesus' gift of perfect righteousness. It's all the forgiveness you need, all the strength you need, all the peace you need, all the forgiveness, righteousness. Everything you need is in Christ. It's in the gospel. So turn from your sin. Turn from the man-made religions. Turn from no religion. And trust Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven, you'll be changed, God's power will be poured out upon you. That's one takeaway. Second takeaway, is there anybody in your life who you've not shared the gospel with because you were ashamed of what they might say? Anybody in your life? If so, you're not alone. And we all struggle with this from time to time. But the Holy Spirit had Paul write Romans 1, 16 and 17 exactly for us when we go through that battle. I would guess that many of you, there's somebody in your life where you've not shared with them because you're ashamed of the gospel. So what should you do? I would encourage you to take time this week and think deeply about Romans 1, 16 and 17. This is why Paul was not ashamed. And if we're ashamed, I'm not understanding what Paul's saying or I'm not believing what he is saying, one or the other, or both. So take time to read and pray over Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the gospel, the words of the the cross, Jesus paying for sin, oh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. My friend, if they will believe, they will experience God's saving, forgiving, righteousness-giving power. So if I'm ashamed, I'm not understanding or I'm not believing Romans 1, 16 and 17. So the solution is to take time to understand verses 16 and 17 and to believe verses 16 and 17. So take time to just ponder, sink your roots deep into these two verses, and then call up your friend. Can we have coffee? There's something I want to tell you and share the good news of Jesus with them. Let's pray together. What an amazing salvation that we can be here tonight and because we're trusting you, Jesus Christ, we are covered with your perfect righteousness. None of us are sinless right now. I I hope we're all battling whatever sin is there, but none of us are sinless. 
But oh, we're covered by your perfect sinlessness. And you, Father, are moving toward us with the delight and the joy and the love that you have for your sinless son. Beautiful. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your power. Thank you for the gift of righteousness. Oh, Lord, teach us more of this and let us spread the good news of this gospel throughout Abu Dhabi and this region, we pray in Jesus' name.